from uh, about 15 years on up, uh, a great deal of my thoughts were uh, basically unshareable. We are all evil in some form or another. Yes, I am not 100%, but I am evil. My mother was a, a sick, angry, hungry, and very sad woman. I hated her, but I wanted to love my mother. This is Serial Killing, a podcast. Hello again, and welcome to Serial Killing, a podcast. My name is Alyssa Carroll, and I am the host and the creator of at serial underscore killing on Instagram, where we go through the life stories of serial killers to see if we might catch a glimpse of why they displayed their famous, vile, and disturbing behaviors. And I want to say special thanks to some of my patrons, Nanette, Emily, Two Emmas, Gabrielle, Galen, Cassandra, David, John, and my girl Judy. Thank you so, so much. This podcast will be on Donald Gaskins, Donald Peewee Gaskins. I have to give my disclaimer, disclaimer, because this podcast is going to involve quite a bit of talk about sexual assault. So if you need to stop, it's perfectly fine. Donald Henry Parrott Jr. was born on March 13th, 1933 in Florence County, South Carolina. So let's get into some history for that time. 1933 was considered the worst year of the Great Depression with unemployment peaking at just over 25%. Tens of thousands traveled the roads and railway systems in the U.S. looking for work. The drought in the Midwest, which was the Dust Bowl, as we've discussed before, was a very serious situation. Adolf Hitler became Chancellor of Germany and his henchman, Heinrich Himmler, opened the first Nazi concentration camp at Dachau. It was initially built to house and hold political prisoners and was located on the grounds of an abandoned munitions factory around 10 miles or 16 kilometers northwest of Munich in the state of Bavaria in southern Germany. Hitler then banned all other political parties, turning Germany into a one-party state. A Japanese scientist demonstrated the first self-powered machine gun, having the capacity to shoot 450 to 600 rounds per minute. A civil war began in Cuba, forcing American businesses to close. The Yellow River breached its banks in China, creating mass starvation due to crop failure. Now, prohibition, which was the practice of prohibiting manufacturing, transportation, import, export, sale, and consumption of alcoholic beverages, was finally repealed. Beer or wine with a 3.2% alcohol content was finally legal to buy. The Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco began construction in 1933. This suspension bridge is now iconic and was designed in the Art Deco style. The World's Fair was held in Chicago this year. It was formally known as the, quote, Century of Progress International Exposition, unquote, 
and the theme was of course the Art Deco, which was at the height of its popularity. Albert Einstein immigrated to the U.S. in 1933 and renounced his German citizenship. He became a professor of theoretical physics at Princeton this same year. He was known as a pacifist and he was also Jewish, a very dangerous combination for someone in Germany at that time. The first drive-in movie theater opened in Camden, New Jersey and could accommodate around 400 vehicles at one time. The cost was just 25 cents a car and 25 cents per person. There are still a few in operation today around the United States. And for a bit of fun, for the first time in modern times, the Loch Ness Monster was sighted in Scotland. So this was the atmosphere that Donald Gaskins was born into. His parents were Henry McLaurin Gaskins, and I've seen it pronounced a few different ways, Yulia Yuli Parrott. Donald's father Henry was born in 1904, and though his family had lived in South Carolina for many generations, in the mid-1700s, his paternal ancestors traveled to the New World from Westminster, England. Yuli Parrott was born in 1910 in Williamsburg, South Carolina. Many generations of her family had also lived in the U.S., but they arrived here in the early 1700s from Ireland. She was the fifth child out of 15 born to her parents. Now, as the story goes, during the height of the Great Depression, his father was a somewhat wealthy man who liked to drink and gamble. He owned and maintained a hotel, and he was also a farmer. His mother had quit school at 12 years old to help her family pick cotton and grow tobacco. So however they met, Henry started paying Yuli $1 to have sex with him a few times a week, which would be enough money to buy just a small handful of groceries at that time. The inevitable happened, of course, and she wound up pregnant. So Henry then gave her $10 a week and allowed her to live in this kind of small, rundown house that he happened to own where he could still, let's say, visit her. They maintained a sexual relationship and often in front of the several children that Yuli already had. Donald was not immune to witnessing this either. All of her children were what they called illegitimate back in that day, meaning they were born out of wedlock and it is believed that most, if not all of them, had different fathers. So when Donald was born, he reportedly only weighed about four pounds. Him being small stayed with him his entire life, and he only knew his name to be Pee-wee until years and years later at a trial. Needless to say, his mother neglected him, and I suspect his other siblings rather terribly. When he was only one year old, he drank a bottle of kerosene, the result of that being that he suffered convulsions for the next two years of his life. Now, his mother, even though Henry put her up in a house, though it was quite dilapidated and paid her an allowance, she used this opportunity to entertain many other men to make a little extra cash. These men were generally not 
nice people, and little Donald was usually seen with concerning bruising covering his tiny body. And if he happened to see his mother sleeping with some random man, he would run forward to try to stop them, just to be kicked or thrown across the room and laughed at. His mother did very little to protect him from the abuse he suffered at the hands of her lovers. It is also mentioned that he suffered with night terrors. This could also have earned him regular beatings. And to top things off, a few of these men also sexually molested little Donald. So once he was old enough to start school, the bullying immediately began due again to his small size. The other boys tried and usually succeeded at physically beating him regularly. At first, he would reach out for help by going to teachers, but they did nothing to stop it, and he was often spanked at school as well. In fact, he hated going to school so much that he would hide out in the woods all day to try to escape the constant bullying and torment. So when Donald was 11 years old, he dropped out of school completely and spent his time either helping his mother with the small farm they ran or working on cars at a local garage. Now he actually showed quite a talent for mechanics. He had a natural ability to take things apart, to find the issue, fix it, and put it back together. He was good enough that people, even at his young age, and a bit of his own attitude, trusted him and he began to make good money fixing their vehicles. Now by this point, his mother had gotten married to a man named Hennart Hanna. He brought to the marriage two sons and was a farmer himself. When he saw that Donald was making good money, I don't know if he took it as some kind of threat or what, but he told Donald that he had to come help the family work the cotton and the tobacco fields. Trying to keep two jobs before he had even hit puberty was too much, and the stress of his young life began to take a toll. Now, the garage that he worked at, well, there were two other teen boys, Danny and Marsh, and the three of them became fast friends. They even gave themselves the name, quote, the Trouble Trio, unquote. They enjoyed peeping in on little girls who were using the outhouses to go to the bathroom, as well as stealing and breaking into other people's homes. Now, within a couple of years, that turned into hiring sex workers, which then escalated into gang raping little boys. At some point, the three decided to gang rape Marsha's little sister, only she told her parents and the boys were beaten severely, which, side note, they deserved that. After this, Marsh and Danny moved away and out of that area, but Donald continued on breaking and entering. So in 1946, when he was 13 years old, a girl that he personally knew busted him stealing from someone's home. Believe it or not, she chased him with an axe, though he was able to get it away from her, and he hit her in the head with it, as well as her arm, and then he ran away. Now, thankfully, this girl did survive this attack, and she told the police exactly what had happened to her and who had done it. 
Donald was, of course, immediately arrested and was soon found guilty of assault with a deadly weapon with the intent to kill. Because he was a minor, he was sent to the South Carolina Industrial School for Boys until he was a legal adult. He was just 13 years old. The story goes that on his very first night at this reform school, the quote, leader of the other boys and young men went by the name of Boss Poss. Now Boss explained to him that Donald was now his sweetheart and he was ordered to come to bed with Boss every single night. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline and Boss raped him nearly every single night as well. Now on occasion, it was reported that many other boys would be allowed to rape him too, and oftentimes Boss would charge a fee or exchange Donald's little body for something as simple as cigarettes until basically treating Donald as if he were a teenage sex worker. He tried to run away, but he was, of course, quickly found, beaten, and put into solitary confinement, but that was really kind of a vacation, considering the alternative. But once he was taken back out, Boss would continue his assaults on him. Finally, he ran away again, and while he was out, he met a girl named Mary. They very quickly got married. He decided that he wanted to give the life of the straight and narrow a shot, and he turned himself in to finish out his time. Needless to say, things hadn't changed whatsoever in the boys' reform school since he had been gone. So this takes Donald through to 18 years old, a young, married, school dropout, and finally out of the reform school. This is the end of his childhood. So let's dive in. Well, I don't necessarily think that Donald's first years were as bad as, say, Otis or Otis Tools. They were still pretty awful. When he was just a toddler, he nearly poisoned himself by drinking kerosene. Now, kerosene is used as an oil for fuel for lamps as well as heating and cooking. Just inhaling kerosene can cause difficulty in breathing and swelling of the throat. It can cause vision loss abdominal pain, burns in the esophagus, vomiting, and sometimes with blood, bloody stools, low blood pressure, collapse, and convulsions, which is something Donald did suffer with. It can also cause dizziness, drowsiness, intoxication, staggering, depression, and coma. Medline Plus stated that it is unwise to induce vomiting and something tells me his mother didn't rush him to the hospital either. Donald also, as a young child, suffered with night terrors, which are episodes of intense screaming, crying, thrashing, and fear of sleep, and happen on a reoccurring basis. They start anywhere from three years old and usually begin to lessen greatly by the age of 12. 
Most night terrors happen when children are overtired or under a lot of stress. Parents are encouraged to comfort and console their child when they wake up in the night like this and to try to minimize any major stressors in the child's life. Something tells me his mother didn't really do that either. But she and her lovers didn't concern themselves with worrying about the child abuse that he was suffering. We all know that child abuse and neglect significantly affect a child. For some people, the effects of child abuse and neglect are chronic and debilitating, and a lot of it depends on the frequency and duration of the maltreatment. Negative outcomes of abuse and neglect often emerge in childhood and adolescence and may continue in adults. Adults with a history of child abuse and neglect are far more likely than the general population to experience physical health problems including diabetes, gastrointestinal problems, arthritis, headaches, stroke, and heart disease. Persisting mental health problems are a common consequence of child abuse and neglect in adults according to the Australian Institute of Family Studies. The mental health problems include personality disorders, post-traumatic stress disorder, dissociative disorders, depression, anxiety disorders, and even psychosis. Depression being the most commonly occurring consequence of past abuse and or neglect, but I mean again, we all know this. And as I've said before, it is very important that young and adolescent boys see their mother as asexual, according to professor and forensic psychologist Louis Schlesinger. It can have a very unsettling effect psychologically on a child. And we know that young Donald was exposed to his mother's sexual relationships. Very young children are particularly likely to be distressed or upset by early overexposure to sexual situations. This, of course, would have been his initial exposure to sex education. The earlier the exposure, the stronger the permissive sexual attitudes as well as first-time sexual experiences. This early exposure can influence a young person's expectations about sex, including what they can expect their partners to be into and vice versa. And we discussed this in the Marquis de Sade podcast. No child should have to witness this sort of thing. And if he tried to let it be known that this behavior was affecting him so deeply, he was just pushed or knocked across the room, beaten and laughed at. So, you take this child who was much smaller than all the other kids, who was abused, neglected, beaten, mocked, molested, and then you send him to school where he was bullied harshly and he couldn't even get the teachers to help him. I mean, it would be hard to not empathize with that. Knowing that he felt helpless, that's really hard. So it comes as no surprise that once he started working and hanging out with other boys who were trouble, well, I mean, it's reasonable to assume he would follow suit. He began robbing people and taking things and turned sexually aggressive rather quickly. 
He raped smaller children when he himself was barely a teenager and was in turn raped nearly every single day at this reform school. Solitary confinement would indeed have been a vacation. I mean, I'm not really seeing how this child stood much of a chance of having any kind of normal life, but then again, many children endure torturous beginnings and they grow up to be perfectly good human beings. So let's continue. So in 1951, Donald Peewee Gaskins was free. He and his wife, Mary, lived with Mary's various family members and she quickly became pregnant. Now, Donald worked construction quite a bit. He logged cypress from the swampy areas in South Carolina and eventually began working on a tobacco farm. The owner was a fellow inmate at the reform school and together they began burning the other farmers' tobacco fields. The owner was arrested but didn't give up Donald, so a new family bought the farm. So the daughter of the new owners began openly accusing Donald of burning the fields, so he hit her in the head with a hammer to shut her up. Soon he was arrested for assault and given five years in jail. He received an extra year for calling the judge a quote, son of a bitch, unquote. Needless to say, while incarcerated, his five foot four inch frame was held down and sexually assaulted again. But this time he had a plan. He decided he was going to kill the leader of the men who kept attacking him. Of course, he made it look like he had killed the man in self-defense, although the other inmates knew better. And he was only convicted of manslaughter and sentenced to six months in solitary. Now, once he was out, he had gained the respect of the other inmates and he was finally left alone. Donald had now killed his first victim and the result was peace. So in 1955, his wife Mary filed for divorce. In a panic, he hid himself inside a garbage barrel and escaped prison so that he could try to keep his wife from separating from him, which of course was unsuccessful. He stole his cousin's car and he drove south to Florida. He promptly met another woman, quickly married her, and turned around and divorced her nearly as fast. Donald then met a carnival worker by the name of Betty Gates, and together they drove to Cookville, Tennessee to supposedly get her brother out of jail. Donald burglarized. He got the bail money together and went to get her brother released, only it turned out to actually be her husband, and when Donald left the building, he found that she had also abandoned him, taking the car. The police found out that he was an escaped convict, so they arrested him and promptly put him back in prison. Finally, in 1961, the now 28-year-old Donald Gaskins was indeed a free man. He moved in with a cousin of his and he went back to being an auto mechanic, something he rather enjoyed. He married 18-year-old Jerry Dolores and went right back to being a thief. He was then arrested for the molestation of a 12-year-old little girl, and then he went right back to prison. He did make an attempt to escape, but he was caught. 
He stayed in prison until he was 35 years old. Now, once released, he worked as a roofer for a time. As a side hustle, he and two younger boys fixed and repainted stolen cars. In 1968, Donald began not feeling very well. He later described it as a, quote, bothersome pain that started in his groin of all places, traveled up through his spine and up into his head, causing him to have migraines. He later stated that these migraines made him feel violent. Once while driving down the highway, he picked up a sex worker. She began openly mocking him and laughing at him, so he beat her until she was unconscious, then raped, sodomized, and tortured her. Once he was satisfied, he tied her up, tied weights to her body, and sunk her into a nearby swamp where she drowned. He later reported that he found a way to effectively quiet those, quote, bothersome pains. So a month later, he picked up a girl named Daisy. He held her at knife point. He forced her to perform sex acts on him, then began stomping her lower abdomen, effectively breaking her pelvic bone. He then took his knife. He stabbed her through her vagina and sliced through, well, let's say he made two exits into one. Unfortunately, but probably thankfully, the girl died quickly and he abandoned her body in the swamps where she quickly sank. Donald practiced mastering his torture skills that would effectively prolong the life of the victim, often keeping his mutilated prey alive for days. It was reported that he sometimes even cannibalized parts that he butchered from their bodies while they watched, screaming. After only two years of freedom from prison, he was already a very dangerous serial killer. He offered a ride to one of his 15-year-old nieces, Janice, and her friend Patricia from a local bar. Yes, folks, a local bar. But rather than take them home, he drove them to an abandoned house where he raped them, he beat them, and he drowned the girls in separate locations. His next murder victim was a woman named Martha Dix, a 20-year-old who was unfortunately attracted to Donald and hung around him at his part-time job at a car repair shop. She was also the first black woman that he killed. The next year, he married his fifth wife and she soon gave birth to their son and Donald gave an honest effort to settle down a bit. He got a good job fixing cars, but of course, staying on the straight and narrow was never something that he could really manage. His next victim was Anne Culberson, whom he tortured for 96 hours in an abandoned house. On the fourth day, he smashed her head in with a ball-peen hammer, dug a grave behind the bar he had picked his nieces up from, and he buried her in it. And then after this, he went on a killing spree. He raped and sodomized a toddler. He also raped, castrated, and murdered two young boys. He later captured two women, 
beat and raped them, then tied them with heavy chains and watched them sinking in the shallows of the swamp, struggling to hold their breath until they finally drowned. In 1973, he bought a hearse, which for those that might not be English speaking as a first language, it's the vehicle that transports the body in the coffin from the funeral to the gravesite. Donald said he bought this to carry his victims' bodies around and he would take them to his secret cemetery. Now, the locals knew that he had an explosive temper, but they blew off his reasoning for buying that hearse. Everyone considered him to be a bit off, but really a few even considered him a friend. 23-year-old Doreen Dempsey was a single mother of a two-year-old girl and pregnant with her second child. She had decided to leave the area and accepted a ride to the bus station from her friend, Pee-wee. However, he clearly did not take her to the bus station. Instead, he took her to a wooded area where he raped and killed her, then did the same to her little girl. He then buried the two bodies together, and he would often speak about this incident as being one of his favorites. So an associate of Donald's named Walter Neely was arrested and immediately confessed to the police that he had witnessed Donald kill two people that were considered missing persons. In November of 1975, Donald was arrested and less than a month later, he was showing the authorities where he had buried some of the bodies. He claimed to have killed 181 people, but they were able to conclusively link him to only nine. In May of 1976, he was given the death penalty. During his final months of life, Donald worked with author Wilton Earle on his book, quote, Final Truth, which was published in 1993. In the book, Gaskins talked about his murders and his feelings of something bothersome inside of him throughout his life. The closer his execution became, the more philosophical he got while dictating his memoirs into a tape recorder. On his execution day, Pee-wee cut his wrists to try to postpone his execution. Instead, they stitched his arms, placed him into the electric chair, and he was pronounced dead by electrocution in September of 1991. So Donald fathered two children. He didn't really take much part in raising them. He was married actually a total of six times and he had had many odd jobs, even working in carnivals. His childhood was not a pleasant one and he was in and out of prison most of his life. But when asked, Donald did not believe he was a victim of child abuse. Donald's scenario could make someone a serial killer with no genetic predisposition. According to Psychology Today, as a child or young adult, our envisaged person is subjected to severe physical and emotional abuse, which causes that person to act out in more and more severe ways, such as Edmund Kemper, Albert DeSalvo, John Wayne Gacy, and others. During the period of acting out or fighting back, the torture of small animals could be at play at this point, 
abused children may experience a kind of control, importance, and aim in life, feelings that have been sorely missed during childhood. Then with the added bonus of desensitizing to more heinous crimes might suffice to make someone a serial killer. But what do you think? Leave me a comment below on the YouTube video or leave me a DM on Instagram at serial underscore killing or you can email me at serialkillinginstagram at gmail.com and I wanted to also let you guys know that Instagram is kind of starting to delete some of my posts so if it looks like I haven't been there, I am. I'm on Instagram off and on all day so I do see your stuff. And thank you again for listening or watching. I appreciate every single one of you because I know you could be listening to anyone else, but you chose me and I really appreciate that. Thank you. Have a great day.